Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Investor Lab. My name is Goose, and this is a surprising episode. I must say, I was a little surprised, pleasantly surprised. In this episode, I enjoyed a scintillating conversation with a real estate sales agent, a real estate leader, an entrepreneur, and investor, and developer, Darren Butcher from Wisebury Heritage which is a real estate agency on the central coast of New South Wales and Australia. Now, we had no idea where this conversation was going to go. We, I started out by, by, by poking the bear and talking about um, you know, the fact that people don't even like sales agents and why the hell anyone would even want to do that. But that very, very quickly, conversation very quickly progressed into talking about stuff like how to, how to practice high-performance leadership, um, how to be more effective in your actions, how to play the long game in real estate through multiple cycles, um, how, to, how to optimize your opportunity and encourage lady luck through action, uh, how to, oh, I'm just checking my notes. We covered a 25-year goal plans and how effective they are in progressing your personal journey, the, the importance of mentors, guides, and coaches to any high-performance uh, success plan, and so, so, so much more. I think that you are going to be as impressed, as enthralled, and as inspired as I was out of this. What I, what I, the expectation I had going into this conversation was, it, was that uh, we were going to be uh, talking pretty dryly around uh, real estate sales and local market conditions. But what happened was, was something that was genuinely enjoyable and supremely impactful. And I know that you're going to get a lot out of this. Now, as ever, if you do enjoy this, then please like, share, um, rate, review, do all of that kind of stuff. If you're listening to this and this is not your first episode, then you've probably established that this is good value content. And I know it is. And you know it is. We all know it is. So share it with someone. Help somebody else out. Don't keep all the goodness to yourself. And it might seem like a trivial pursuit to you, but subscriptions, likes, shares, comments, ratings, and reviews, they all mean a hell of a lot to us here at the Investor Lab. So please take some time to give back because we love you and we give to you too. Now, if you want to pursue this a little further and take this out of your ears and into your life, then head to theinvestorlab.com.au to find out the many ways that we can support you in your personal wealth and property journey. Enjoy and let me know what you think. See you on the inside. Hello and welcome. You are listening to The Investor Lab. I'm your host, Goost. And joining me today is Darren Butcher from Wisebury Heritage in Charmhaven. How are you today? Yeah, fantastic, mate. How are you going? Mate, pretty good actually. Pretty good. Thanks for joining me. It's um, it's early on a Wednesday morning at the time of recording, so I appreciate you you taking some time out of your morning to uh to jump on and, and have a little chat. Uh, no problems at all, mate. Now we're going to cover a few different things today. Um, as as always, these conversations we will just see where they go. Um, I'm interested in having a little chat with you, and part of the reason I wanted to get you on to have a conversation is because. You, you sit on the other side of the fence to me. Now, what I mean by that is I'm a buyer's agent and you're a selling agent. So I want to dig into that, what the differences are and also how, you know, we're, we're going to cover a lot of ground. But I really want to just tackle something early on in this conversation. Now, when I made a career shift, you're going to have to just indulge me for a moment while I, I, I ramble on in a bit of a soliloquy to get things rolling. But... When I first decided that I wanted to pursue a passion uh, that I had with property uh, and decided I wanted to become a buyer's agent, I was met largely by a lot of uh, scorn and disdain because a lot of people thought, oh, why are you going into real estate? Are you going to start selling houses? And it must be said, and I'm sure you've probably experienced this a little bit, that um, I guess real estate sales people don't necessarily have the greatest reputation. Now, I'm not saying that that's. I'm not saying that this is you, but I mean this is 
this is the feedback that I got from my friends and family. They were like, oh, oh, almost like I was, you know, going into a, uh, you know, a very undesirable industry. And I was like, hey, I was just going out there to help people. What's going on here? Yep. So, mate, my first question to you is what the hell inspired you to want to become a real estate sales agent? Yeah, well, it's an interesting one. Uh, I got asked at school, actually, when I was younger, what's the one job you don't want to do? My father was in real estate and I said, real estate, there's no way I want to do those stupid hours that they do. Um, hence, uh, you know, uh, a lot of years down the line now and uh, that's what I'm doing. But uh, I went actually into to uni to do uh, computer science and um, after a year of sitting with people with pocket calculators, and there's nothing wrong with that. It just wasn't me. Um, I wanted to be with people in the connection. So I left. Uh, I didn't uh, find any jobs. So my old man got me a job as a window glazer. I quickly realized that I was accident prone. So that, that went. <laughs> in the rag truck and and uh ruben of scarf and they were a fantastic company and and uh they taught me so much so quick it was ridiculous i was always getting offered jobs ended up getting offered a job in real estate against my father's competition and i thought yeah there's nothing nicer than that he's uh he's 30 years of experience and i'm none so i'll take him on for sure and uh and that's where it blossomed a couple of years after that we started a real estate company called heritage and then moved into wisebury heritage later on down the line Okay, so that tells me the pathway that you took, but that doesn't explain yep. why. Because, you know, you, you, you basically said, so you went and studied computer science, realized yep. that wasn't for you because you liked people more than you liked computers. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Cool. And then you became a pain in your, in your boss's uh, behind because when you were doing a window glazing job because you're accident prone. That's cool. Got that. Yep. And then, but then what, like... Like what was the catalyst? What was the catalyst? Like why, 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 why property? And what friction did you need to overcome to want to pursue that as a career? What turned it in from, and also what turned it from a, um, a job that you were filling as a role as a young man that you were just like, just give me some cash. Yep. And where did that transition from just being, give me some cash. I'm a young man. I want money. To yep. wanting to be some way that you spend your your existence. Yeah, well, it was interesting. Um, it, I think the, the first thing was that I wanted to work longer hours than what actually um, you could in a shopping centre and, and in the, the clothing trade. And I used to get really fed up that you could only, you know, on a Thursday or Friday, you could work a 12-hour shift depending on which store you went to. But, uh, but other than that, you could only work a certain time period and it was limiting where we could help people. So my real drive was not about money, um, even though it seems like the catalyst of, of my life. It's, um, it's just a vehicle to get me from A to B. Um, and so I looked at how I could help people more, how I could actually get the fun of the sale. And, and I had a, a mental belief when I walked into real estate that, uh, that people don't walk to real estate agents because they like them. They actually don't like them. And so uh, if they come to me, they're going to buy or they're going to sell. And that was my job. My, my duty was to actually help them find it. And a lot of people don't understand what they want. So when you go looking for a car, you'll go, I want a, a black Mercedes Benz with leather, uh, white leather interior, CD stack of the whole lot, where when you look for a property, you're actually just declaring, um, you know, I want a four-bedroom house with a double-lock garage or I want this sort of investment or I need this sort of percentage return. Um, and so I, I realised that there was a genuine need that you could help people and that was the, that was the driver for me. Mm, yeah, because I, um, I think that that is a – you touched on a good point there. People often don't go to see real estate agents because they, they want to. So I, it's a little, bit, a little bit different on my side of the fence, partly because of how I show up in the marketplace. A lot of people come to me because – they want help, guidance, and advice. Often outside the scope of what we offer as a service. Um, we, but that's cool because they're sort of you know they come they come um, with a different angle. But I guess you're right. A lot, a lot of people you wouldn't walk into a, a real estate agency just because you know you, you you're passionate about it being there. But I think that that does have a big weighting on. I guess the reputation of sales agents is, is being commission focused and just chasing the money. You, do you yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you see there's, a, there's any correlation between uh, the types of real estate agents? Because you've been doing this for what, 28 years or something now, right? Yeah. Yep. Do you see that there's any correlation between the uh, success of real estate agents and their um, hunger? for money or their desire to help. Do you see, is there any correlation there? Have you noticed anything like that? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. I, I find that it's governed by their leader and the rules that they actually play. So there's some that are extremely ethical and, and want to do the right thing and, and have a moral compass and very community orientated and, and uh, they drive very hard. There's some that just show that they're that way but aren't actually that way. And so uh, I think there is a, a major difference. 
Some are driven by money, um, but they go through life cycles like people do. And there's sometimes, you know, a desire or a need for the money. Um, and then they go to a world of abundance. And then that, it's about the quality that they actually supply to their clients. And that's mm. where I find the best agents start to peel out. Yeah, totally. And again, it must be said, there's nothing wrong with wanting money, right? Like this is not, this is not a problem. I remember, I remember um, going for a job like, in my early 20s and I walked in there and, and they said, why do you want the job? I said, well, I'm really passionate about making money. I currently don't have any and I really need some. So on that basis, I'm going to show up and work really hard. And they went, fair enough. When can yeah. you start? You know, I was like, cool, let's go. And that was actually one of my biggest things is that I could never find anywhere that would allow me to work enough hours. So I always worked two, three jobs, ran my own businesses, did all of that kind of stuff because I was like, it's 24 hours in a day. Like, what are we only doing working eight? Now, again, a lot of people that might rub them the wrong way as well. But for me, I mean, I've just got a passion to want to uh, do more in life as well. So I can definitely uh, relate to that. Now, you mentioned there just, just then that the the impact that an agent has is directly correlated to their leader. What did you mean by that? Well, look, I think there's, I mean, I was lucky, you know, in the, after two years of working for another company and there was nothing wrong with the people that just, uh, there was no leadership at all. Um, and uh, the truth is then I went with my father and his ethics behind what he does on a daily, uh, daily basis was huge. Like he, uh, he said that you were born with your word and that's all you've ever got. And you can leave with your word, but that's your choice. And, and it, it stayed with me for a very long time. And I actually teach my team that as well. That if they're going to do something, they've got to do it 100% right and they don't get a second chance at it. Um, so uh, caring for the client, not the money, is where you'll make it. Like, like what you're doing, the more input that you put into your clients, the more that you actually give them information, the more um, informed they are, the more successful they become. So that's, yeah. uh, I think it, it stems from the leadership down. And if the leader's greedy, then everyone is. Okay, so I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's actually really, uh, a really great thing I want to dig into because now the people listening to this podcast, they typically sort of fall in two camps. They're either um, early stage investors or they, well, there's probably a few different ca categories, I guess. Early stage investors, some more experienced investors, entrepreneurs, business owners, people thinking about investing, all of that kind of stuff. So I want to dig into a little bit about leadership. But so you started, um, so you've been doing this for like 28 years. Yep. You started, you first started in competition with your dad and then you went into business with your dad. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after two years, um, I was selling quite well. He was actually, and he always had a fear of investing. And funnily enough, a real estate agent that feared um, taking a risk, but he'd, he'd bought, uh, been brought up with three jobs, a boilermaker. He was secretary manager of a lease club and, and also a real estate agent. He, um, he does have insomnia, so he sleeps about two hours a day. Um, but uh, but the guy's incredible, and um, and so the the being around people all his life, uh, trades people, you know, um, carpenters, all the stuff that come into the pubs and clubs and all the rest of it as well, gave him a real insight into what the the and him being a battler, the average person is looking for and how they want to do it. But it also gave him a big fear factor of risk. And uh, once we started joining together, and and I started earning money, well. The, when I first started, it was it was uh, wine, women, and song that the the money was going on. Basically, poker machines and gambling and all the other stuff that you do as a young fella. And then uh, he said, "Look, you're going to have to get in and put your money into something that's valuable." So I bought a property. And then after the first six twelve months, I uh, I realised that was pretty easy to do, and that was paid off pretty quickly with the volume that we were selling. So I uh, I decided that I'd actually go and buy another one. And he said, "Oh no no no, you don't have to rush it," you know. And and I said to him, "Well." I want to rush it. You know, I, to, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I moved back home. I think that was probably his biggest fear and I bought another one and then did that the next year. I bought another one and, and, and so the journey began. Okay, awesome. Okay, that's that's really cool. That's really good. So uh, tell me a little bit about your investing journey then. So when did you start? How has that gone? We don't need to go into specifics. I don't need to, like, you don't need to expose your personal financial information here, but I'd be very interested to know as... Someone who works in real estate on the selling side of real estate, yep. how has that shaped your investing journey? Have you only invested in your local area? How many properties have you got? And when have you focused on cash flow versus growth? Yep. Tell me a little bit about your portfolio. Okay, so it started off very novice because uh, you know uh, my guidance, uh, you know what probably wasn't strong in the, the fact that we sold property all the time. We knew what was a good investment, but uh, you know I didn't have a, a mentor or a coach or anything like that. So after the first couple, I'd uh, and I started at 18 and, and then bought the first one, then um, went from there, 18, 19, 20. Um, I started to look and go, okay, well, this is this is pretty cool. 
but it, they were all um, negative gear to start off with mm. um, because I didn't have any deposits and all the rest. And, and I was earning good money. I was just spending it. Um, and then so I just start, started to look at it. And I um, had a person that come and join me in property management. She was in for 30 odd years and she was a, an avid investor, you know, 10, 15 properties. And so I started asking her what she would do. And she said, look, you really want to speak to a guy that talks about this positive gearing thing. And, you know, at the time that was, that was something that wasn't really too much around that people would talk about. But I went and had a chat to him and I thought the guy was a loony. He talked about interest only loans and, and all these things that scared the crap out of me. But then after a little bit, I realized that he had a lot of merit in it. And so what I decided to do was start a strategy that was, um, was, it was twofold. One was that I had a, uh, a little baby development company that would do duplexes and villas and things like that um, with one of my best mates. He was a builder. So I went down that line to start to build some equity that I could roll over and then buy some, um, some uh, positive geared properties. The second was that I, I uh, realized that I was paying a, a crap load of tax. So I started to deviate a little bit and had a positive geared um, mentality with my little cheapies that I'd buy around the town with good uh, land value. And then I would buy a development site. Um, and the idea was that the, uh, the little cheapies would, uh, would pay for the negativeness of the, the development site. And that would give me potential to grow and, and develop. And so, you know, we've been, I've been doing that for years now and started to diversify. And then I realized that uh, my borrowing power was off my income. Um, and, and it's slightly changing now where they, they're grouping it together. But, um, you know, so I realized that, it, you know, if I was earning 100 grand, I could borrow 400 grand. If I was, if I was um, at the time, that was the, the rule of thumb. And then if I had a company, it could borrow 400 as long as I didn't have borrowings on myself. So I just started opening up some companies. Then got in, uh, got into trusts, and, and started doing things differently. So, yeah, it was just it was just a suck it and see. And and as I, I developed, I, I started buying a few, and now I've got a few to, a few good development sites um, that uh, you know uh, are, are poised to go. And I've got some great investment properties as well. And most of them are on the central coast, the northern end of the central coast, um, because that's my area and that's where I, I see the confidence. I did delve into shares quite a bit, and then realised that uh, someone else controlled it, and when it went up. They made money and when it went down, I lost money and then they made money going back up again. So I started to, to go, well, that's not really the game for me. I want to play in the one that I know the best. And uh, yeah, I've got a couple up north as well, but, um, but mostly here. Awesome. So, so you basically, you started out negative gearing. That's how I guess most, most people have started out. Yep. The, the positive cash flow guy, who was that and where did he come from? Was he just a local guy or was he a... He was a blow-in, mate. He just uh, he came out of the blue, and uh, he was uh, just a guy that uh, did different investments and stuff like that. I used to listen to everyone. I'd, I'd sit down and I'd chat to everybody and try to pick the teeth out of it and see what was good and what wasn't. And he um, it was way before his time. He was only a young fella, um, and the reason I didn't listen to him because he didn't have investments himself. He was just an advisor um, for a company, like a marketing company, just trying to pick up some Interesting. sales. Yep. Yeah, but um, but it was funny because I'm a great believer in planting the seed. And he, and he actually put the seed in my mind, so I started exploring other things and, and interest-only loans were the first to, to uh, catch my attention after that. And, and then after that, uh, you know, I thought, well, if he's got some merit in that, I might have to explore this positive stuff as well and, and now work with the team with it. Awesome. How did, how did, how did changing your strategy to positive cash flow, how, how did that – because obviously, it was one, actually, first, do you consider yourself now an investor or a developer? Um, neither. Uh, an entrepreneur would probably be easier. Oh, nice. Interesting. Interesting. We recently did uh, an episode uh, uh, titled The Rise of the Real Estate Entrepreneur, where we actually started to broach the idea, the difference between investors and real estate entrepreneurs. So I'm very interested that you just mentioned that because it ties in very much with the themology that we're going to be exploring over the next year because I think there's a huge correlation between entrepreneurs and property. And in fact, some of um, of my greatest... um, uh, entrepreneurial and business um, inspirations, uh, you know, p- people that I look up to, all have a real estate, all have a real estate background, you know, and, yeah, it, and, it's, and it's very, and it's fascinating. There's a fascinating correlation there. So, mate, I, I, I like that. I'll, I'll take that. So, how did, um, do you think you would have been, do you think you would have progressed from where you were to development? And do you think you would have been able to do that without uh, focusing on positive cash flow? Uh, yes, but it would have been much more difficult, much more difficult. I think uh, what it's done is it's allowed me to, I've been lucky that the northern end of the coast doesn't have, a, like, doesn't have any development specialists, commercial specialists, all the rest of it, because yep. it, was, it was the forgotten end of the northern end of the coast. Um, 
And so for me, uh, the beauty was that when I was in real estate, I got to delve in the whole lot of it. And so, you know, one of my first sales was actually a development site, um, you know, which was a 50 lot subdivision. And, and so some people, you know, some people would scared, were scared of it. I just thought, well, what the hell, let's have a crack. And, and I did tell the owner, he was actually a, a father of uh, one of my mates. And I said, I know nothing about this. And he said, well, Darren, <laughs> I've, I've had agents that have claimed they know everything about it and they've done nothing. So why don't you have a go? Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Now, I, yeah. I, I, I think there is nothing more powerful than uh, transparency and integrity. Like I have never and will never pretend to be something that I'm not. Like yep. a lot of people, there are a lot of people out there who've got, you know, 10, 20, 30 property pro- portfolios uh, and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, that's that's awesome. You know, yep. I, 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 but I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. You know, like we, we're at a level in our investing journey where we're making good headway and, you know, we're able to help people on that journey too. And I'm like, I'm pumped about that and stoked about it. So it's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Now, okay, so that's that's pretty cool. I want to um, as, partly because you self-identified as an entrepreneur, but also you are a leader within your uh, organization. Yep. What does that mean to? Firstly, how big is your organization? Like, how big is Wisebury Heritage? Because yep. Wy- Wisebury is a much bigger brand. Heritage yes, is, is the branch that you own. Yep. Yep. How how big is the business? We've got, uh, we've got five offices, three are sales and two are rentals. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so when I say that, um, you know, we, we've got um, two offices, in, one in, two in Gorikin, so one's a rental, one's a sales office. The rental office holds around 1,450 property managements and the sales office, um, you know, is, has been a gun for, you know, for well, since 1994 when we started it, so it hasn't stopped. Um, we've got a Charm Haven office, which is um, which is where I live behind. Uh, I've got an acreage behind it and, and um, a future development project. So uh, that's really, really cool. And uh, then I bought in, um, I, I actually had eight at one stage and, and I bought in with um, a couple of partners down in Tuppy Berkeley Bar where I held the majority share, but they were young. One was a young person coming through. One was a little bit more experienced. Um, you could see he had a lot of talent. So I decided that I would work with them and they would. it would be like a... Um, non-competitive thing that you could start to bring people through. So one of my, my journeys is that I've earned enough from real estate and I'm really happy with what I've actually done. Um, but there's a lot of people that are loyal to me that have come on the journey. And so I want to actually work with them to uh, to, to uh, rise their, their way. But I don't want them to be the competitors either. So we set a plan in strategy. They tell me what they want to achieve and, and uh, we're trying to achieve that for a few of them. Awesome. So you're mentoring um, people to, to, to become their own leaders now. Absolutely. Mate, that's awesome. That's awesome. So at what point, now when you started the business with your dad, at what point did leadership transition from your father to you or was that set in stone from the ground? Did you say, look, I'll go into business with your dad, but I'm the boss? Or, yeah, no, or no, how, that, how did it work? I certainly didn't do that way. Um, no, look, he was, like, he's the most respected person that I know. Like, you know, he's, uh, he's incredible. And so I've got a lot of, you know, I've just he's up there as far as I'm concerned. And so it got to a part of the journey where, you know, I was selling a lot. He was he was selling a lot. We were doing a great job, and the team just kept expanding. And uh, he was a wonderful leader. And and um, it got to a stage where I walked. Uh, you know, it got to a point where I started doing sales management. Now we hired a uh, a trainer and organisation, and it ended up being a, it's been a uh, yeah, been together. They're actually the owners of Wisebury, um, and they were a training organisation first. And we went on a journey with them, and they did a lot of work on leadership. And as a, a sales manager. I was finding there were certain things that I needed the team to be able to, to, to do from a leadership point of view. So one day I went in and I said to Dad, let's swap roles. And Dad, Dad being Dad, said, yeah, yeah, let's go for it. You know, worries at all. But, uh, but then uh, the guy who was the head of the training organization come down and said, no, 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 you're moving way too fast. Your dad's the leader. You're the sales manager. You keep doing it that way. So that worked for another year or so. And then Dad got, uh, was getting a little bit frustrated with the industry, um, probably more staffing than anything um, because – you know, he was about giving everything that he possibly could and, and uh, some people were taking a lot. So um, he got to a point where one of our competitors offered to buy him out at a really big dollars and they wanted to tie me in for five years. And, and I said, look, if you're going to do that, why don't you let me buy at the same price? So um, at that stage, that was 2000, uh, 2002, we, uh, me and my wife bought it off uh, mum and dad. They decided to travel Australia and, um, and uh, mentor from afar and uh, we've been running it ever since. Awesome, mate. That's pretty cool. So, what are the um, what are the 
what are the biggest lessons you've learned about leadership and growing, um, growing a business? Like, what are the biggest lessons lessons you've you've learned about leadership? Yeah, I think having a, a leadership coach is is vital. So I've got a life coach and a leadership coach, and I think that's very very important to have both um, in uh, the way your direction is. So you've got balance. Um, you know, I treat every person as if they're volunteers um, that work for me, and so they can walk out any day, any time, and by treating them that way, you have a respect for them that you. You don't hit the, the point where you blow up. And I'm not saying ever, but too often uh, where you, you don't get frustrated. You just know that they're, they're great people. Um, and I think um, give, uh, give, 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 and don't ever expect to get anything back. You know, um, loyalty is something that you've got to give, not actually expect back. And uh, I think if you do that, then you'll go very, very well. So they're probably the tips. Awesome. Good stuff. So the other thing that I wanted to ask is, as someone who has now grown grown a business, you've you've transitioned from you've transitioned from mentee. You mentioned your dad was mentoring from afar. Yep. You you currently have coaches, so you're still investing in your own professional development. Is that right? Oh, absolutely, mate. Look, I wake up at five five thirty every morning, and and I'll do two hours worth of work before I actually start the day. Go for a walk with my wife. She's the one that actually gives me the balance and says, get back on this line, um, kicks me in the shins, and then, uh, then I'm, uh, I'm off to the day to start the day. So um, it's, it's absolutely vital for anyone, I believe, running a business to be doing more work than, than their team to uh, stay ahead of the game. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So how, do you, how have you managed to maintain that um, stamina? How have you managed to maintain that stamina? Because a lot of people think, oh, don't you burn out? Now, real estate agents typically work long hours. You've identified you work more hours than, uh, than the people in your office. So I guess what, what habits, tactics, or strategies, we'll call them high-performance tips, have you got as a business owner um, that have helped you maintain your performance over, over a long period of time? I think goals is probably the biggest one, uh, making sure that you, uh, you look at your goals. Um, one of my, my lifestyle coach actually works very, very hard on those. And, and, uh, you know, he makes me set goals for 25 years in advance. Um, and, um, which is, which is monstrous. I think how many times you read your goals is very, very vital. Um, but, uh, but just going through the exercise of actually trying to set so far in advance. Now I can tell you, you know, I may never get a, de- a, de- a deserted Island with a helicopter and all the rest of the stuff that's there. It may not be possible, but if it's not set there, then you've got nothing to strive for. And, and I, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of goals that I actually set that I look back in years to come and go, no, I'm going to shuffle that or, or I'm going to delete that and add another one. Um, yeah. But I think that that's probably the most vital of all of them. Mate, I am so impressed that you've mentioned that. One of the big things that um, I have done and with my partner, Gabby, but also one of the things that I've written about in my books, one of the things that we coach people on, talk about all this stuff is the idea of having a 25 to 1 life plan. Now, the 25 to 1 life plan is about creating 25-year goals that you can then break down into stages so that yes. you end up with 90-day steps and every 90 days is 1% of your journey on the way to 25 years and that allows you to focus on taking incremental steps rather than enormous ones. I'm really impressed that, um, that you mentioned that because oh, thank you. I don't know that many other people that set 25-year goal plans. Yeah, look, he's, he's got a, a book called Black Belt of the Mind and, and um, it's very – Dr. Fred Gross, his name is, he's very, very clever um, and, uh, you know, He's not the, the cheapest coach in the world, but I tell you what, he uh, he certainly keeps your mind focused very, very well. And I found a common denominator with all the um, the top principals when I used to meet with them. They all used to mention his name. I used to think, well, you know, I've got to give this guy a call and, and suss him out. And, you know, he's uh, been a rabbi and he's uh, 88 years old, and uh, but he's a very clever man. And, and to be honest with you, he's, uh, he, just has, he just has the right thing to say at the right time. And I think that's just experience, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I, from a personal level, like I have invested personally hundreds of thousands of dollars over the past few years in increasing my education, knowledge, understanding, coaches, mentors, courses, anything that I can do to try and fine tune and dial in uh, the way that I think about all of this stuff. So I, I think it's fantastic that you you are still in, investing in that, and I think it's something that everyone should take on board. That if you don't have a mentor or a coach or someone who uh, can help shine that light on, on how to optimize your life. And if you're literally just trying to learn by um, 
trial and error that you're you're actually selling yourself short you know you're not yeah, living, you're not living to your full potential also so. too they're very very good guide sticks of, of when things actually do go wrong you know like uh yeah sometimes you actually hit the panic button you know like uh, what people have done through this this period and other people look at it as opportunity you know and uh and I, i've got to say that it just put a grin on my face um you know because whilst i, I understand the tragedy side of it um i also looked at the the entrepreneurial side of it and when uh, the taxi driver says to buy, that's the time to sell. And when the taxi driver says to sell, then that's the time to buy, you know, and, and everyone was talking doom and gloom and, and all I could see was opportunity. Mate, that's a great, um, that's a great segue into something I really wanted to approach um, with yourself is about the um, current environment and, and how to navigate that. So for context, if someone, if someone is listening to this in the future in a couple of years' time, you know, at the moment, obviously, we've, we're experiencing an economic downturn um, due to the coronavirus pandemic it's affecting everyone in the world. Uh, I want to just attack that ideology for a little minute, a minute though, because it's very easy to take Warren Buffett's um, Warren Buffett's quote of of you know, buy in, what is it? Buy, be fearful when everyone else is greedy, and be greedy when everyone else is fearful. Yeah, but I actually believe that that can make that can allow people to make really really bad decisions. If that is if that is your litmus test, if it's like if it's like okay, well everyone else thinks it's bad, I'll go buy, and everyone thinks it's good, I'll go sell, right? If that is your litmus test, that doesn't carry enough weight with it. Um, in any case, I don't think. So yeah, agreed. There's got to be more to it, which is a you know, which is why I'm so passionate about um, research, and not everywhere is going well. I mean, the research that we have done independently with other organizations, et cetera, et cetera, shows that currently there are areas which are significantly impacted, whether, whether, in, whether, whether you look at the um, statistical sales data or whether you look at the, the valuer information, you get two different stories, but there yep. are areas which are significantly impacted, but there are areas which are actually growing in spite of or perhaps because of the current environment. So, how 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 have you personally navigated this environment, and what how, what advice would you have to anybody else looking to buy or sell in the current market? Yeah, okay. Well, look, it's and there's a whole gamut of uh, questions there, but uh, but to to start with, uh, we've been doing very very well. You know, the the number that I produced it was thirty two. It actually had come back. Um, they they'd only exchanged on thirty with two that had been moved over the following month. So uh, we did thirty sales in the uh, the month um, and. Uh, uh, look, that's a, a really good result. We're normally 40 to 50, so it's down a little. Um, but after the first two weeks, an investor's not knowing whether they're going to get rent or not. I thought that was pretty impressive, to be honest. Mm. Um, and uh, and the way we did it was we actually got our team together and we said, look, let's concentrate on what, what the variables are that we can control. Who is buying pre-COVID? Who is buying during COVID? Who is buying after COVID? And who is not buying for another 12 to 18 months? Um, and let's put them in some categories. Let's have a look and let's look at exactly what they want and what they need, and then let's start to work from there. And so we did that. Uh, we then started to realise there was a real thirst and a hunger for uh, for properties on the coast. The investors for the first two weeks of the month were just non-existent, you know, and, and that's a staple diet of ours. Um, but there was a lot of movement within and a lot of movement from Sydney um, that uh, were always intending to buy on the coast, so they decided to buy on the coast. So um, lifestyle properties, waterfronts, acreages, bigger blocks, um, you know, new estates. Um, so they become uh, very, very popular. So we've seen no market price change. Now, uh, let me precursor this because other agents are talking it down by 10, 15, 20%. Um, what out of the 32 sales that I'd worked on before coming onto air here, um, we'd, I, I'd worked out that one had sold under the odds um, and five had sold 5% above the odds and the rest were market price or what we perceived to be market price, which is, which is in a, a small category of 5%. So I, I've got to be uh, perfectly transparent. The our market hasn't seen it. I had a value on the phone. He said the market's crapped itself, Darren. It's it's gone down by fifteen percent. And I said, where do you get the figures from? Because I haven't seen any of those figures yet. And he said, well, the banks are telling us it. I've only had three valuations to do in the last two weeks, so it must be bad. And I said, well, mate. And this was on the four. The, I think the thirteenth day, and we'd sold fourteen properties. And I said, well, we've sold fourteen already. So if you haven't got the work, it's not because the work's not there. Um, it's because it's probably chugged in the, the bank line where they're, uh, they're getting phone calls about, you know, uh, deferrals and all the rest of it. But I'm telling you, the sales are actually there. And I said to him, "Give out of the three that you actually did, can you tell me, are any of them below market price? And he said, no, there's none of them. And I said, well, how are you saying there's a 15% downturn? And he said, well, that's just what we're predicting. 
And I said, yeah, but valuation's got to go off the market. It can't go off what it's predicting the future to be. No, it's, said, not, it's, not, um, it's not designed to be an opinion piece. Everyone's, you know, right. opinions are like arseholes. Yeah. Valuers are not there to be thinking, oh, well, this is what it might do. It's to yes. take a very practical and pragmatic view on what it is. And I think this is one of the things that's been really getting my goat as well, is this, this, this view of all of these fortune tellers going, but we think it might do this, therefore we will state that the fact currently is this. And it's like, well, where is that information coming from? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that I said to him, mate, can I just ask a question? Do you live on your own? And he said, yeah. And I said, um, who are you talking to? Who's your business coach? Who's your mentors? And he goes, oh, I don't have any. I said, do you speak to your boss? Nah, he's too busy at the moment. I said, no wonder. You're sitting there watching the television. I remember going back many years ago when the Greek economy was crapping itself and the shop next door to our, our real estate shop was a chicken shop. And uh, I'd go in there and every day something different would happen. They'd take the, they were taking the fish and, and chips that were in the chicken shop out. Then they'd take the, the salads out and they'd put them in the back pool room. Then the lights went off. The TV always stayed on on Greek, the Greek news. Um, and, uh, and then all of a sudden the chickens disappeared from the front of the shop so they had nothing on display. I said to them, what are you doing? And they said, the economy's dead. And I said, I don't know how you're saying that because we are booming next door. We're selling properties like they're going out of fashion. You know, and, um, and so... I think a lot of people are distorted by what they listen to. Mm. And, uh, you know, I actually heard a, a thing the other day and I thought it was really, really apt. In the first five minutes of watching the news, you'll know everything that's going to happen on the news in the real uh, the, um, the clips. And the rest of it is all just hyping it up from there on in. And I think that's so true. So. I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It's, a, it's, a, it's an absolute cesspool. But it's very yeah. difficult. It's a very difficult thing for people to... Uh, find reliable information because more and more the reliable sources of information are succumbing to economic pressures and are becoming tabloidal. So the the organizations and the outlets that you used to be able to, I think, um, more reasonably uh, lean into, even with a healthy degree of skepticism, yep. are, are no longer carrying that, that degree of journalistic credibility, which makes it very, very difficult to to decipher fact from yes. from from fiction basically yeah. yeah yeah too true too true and and what people do traditionally is uh they judge themselves on their actions and they judge someone else uh, i i i sorry on their intentions they judge someone else on their actions and so basically what we're seeing in the marketplace is, is that people are coming to us and saying here is one sale that's out of line and we go here is 10 that aren't and, uh, and, and look, I think that's the reason the agents in the early pieces feared the buyer's agent so much because they're, they're expecting the buyer's agent to come to them with these stats and saying, here's the market price. I want my best deal for my client. And that's not necessarily how buyer's agents work. They're, they're, what they're looking for is the best property for their clients. Not necessarily, it doesn't, and, and look, I learned this from a, a guy many years ago, very successful man. He said, Darren, it doesn't matter what you pay for a property. Even paying a premium will get your premium. If you buy a discounted property, you generally will sell a discounted property. Um, and uh, so it was the mindset of, of what he put me in. And so now I don't mind buying a great property and paying a premium price for it, even as a real estate agent, as long as that property gets me a premium when I sell it. And generally they do. Yeah, I think, I think there's, a, there's a couple of caveats there, of course. But one of the big things that we talk about is, is the ability to add value. So you can buy... Now, I, I agree with you that you need to, you need to detach from... Um, what is the best deal? Because that 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 can mean so many things. <clears throat> I, I have people come to me and go, oh, "Look, you know, we only want we only want to use you as a buyer's agent if you can get us twenty percent below market value." And I'm like, "That's crazy." Well, cool. I like, can yep. catch you later. Not to say that you can't do that. Not to say that you can't do that. And in fact, and in fact, we have done stuff like that in the past. But you've got to understand how it actually fits within an overarching strategy and also why it is below market value. What are the key levers? What is the thing? Because yep. as you say, if you just took one property that was uh, under market value and then did nothing and then sold it again a while later, you're probably going to find that you're going to be selling it at a discount as well. So yep. adding value is a different component and that'll obviously lend into some of the um, skills that you've got as a developer, but it can be anything from... Um, cosmetic renovation or whatever. The really underlying thing I think is that people need to buy the value proposition that is in line with their strategy. That's right. And that is the biggest thing because you can pay above market value for a property if 
the strategy with it is that in five years, you're going to subdivide it into five lots and sell or whatever, yeah. if yeah. that is making sense, you know, if that's the thing that makes sense. So I think people need to detach from price and focus on value because price is what you pay and value is what you get, right? Absolutely. So I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. So what is your perspective then, given that we're like a couple of, a, a few weeks into this whole saga now? How do you think it's going to shape up over the next, say, six months? Do you think we've just got a delayed and protracted downturn? Do you think that Central Coast is never going to be impacted? You know, what is your what is your opinion on that? Central Coast normally, if Sydney gets uh, gets a sneeze, we get the flu. Um, so our prices, uh, you know, if they if they have a downturn, we plummet. Um, and but we also do the opposite um, when it actually starts turning up. The northern end of the coast is an interesting one. You can't go further north and get it cheaper. You can't go south and get it cheaper. You can't go east because there's a, the water and you can't, can't go west because it's dearer as well. So it's a really, really interesting um, area. Um, you can go to the other side of Newcastle, of course. And we've got an office at Taree that, uh, that's very affordable and, and very good returns. Um, but, but on the actual coast itself, um, there, is, there is nowhere. So there's really good pockets there. And, and what we've seen is this, that there's value. I mean, if you're borrowing at twos, two and a half, three percent, depending on what people are actually negotiating at the moment, um, you know, and, and I'll leave that to you and, and your, uh, your viewers. But uh, the, the truth is that if you can do that and you're picking up fours, four and a halves, you know, if it, it's something's a, a dual lock or, a, you know, something like a granny flat or whatever the case that you add some value to a property, then you can be picking up maybe four and a half to five percent. Um, there's money for jam, you know, and uh, you might as well take it. So uh, for me and where we see it, um, I can see a real movement um, uh, forward with the market. Now, there's a, there's a double theory that, uh, that's been thrown at me, and I, I work with a lot, a lot of smart people, smarter than me, and, and so I watch uh, what they're talking about. One believes there's a V, so they believe that there is, um, you know, we're at, at one point of the V and it will go down but come back up very, very quickly um, due to lending constraints, and so the banks will play a, a part in that. Um, the other is the fact that if we haven't moved in the first six weeks of COVID and we've had isolations and restrictions and, and deferrals and all the other stuff, well, is it going to really change? If it, it can't be dented by that, then how is it going to be? But the way I say it to my owners is quite simple, and, and this is from a selling strategy, um, is that if 10% believe the market may increase and 90% believe the market may decrease, then the best, uh, best advice for me to give them is to, uh, to auction the property at the moment take it to the market and see what the market's actually dictating. Um, now, from a, a buying strategy, I'm actually, you know, my son just bought a property and, and I was jumping in bells and whistles and saying to him, make, make it happen no matter. You know, he's locked in, first home buyer, 2.29%, fixed for two years, um, which is fantastic. He's, uh, there, the, he bought the property for 465, no stamp duties um, because of what's happening. And we'll, I'll touch base with you about the the state government about what they're talking about there. That's uh, that's an interesting one, that one too. But um, and then he he look, he could rent that property in two sections. It's got a little granny flat below it. It's got two two bedrooms above it. You know, as it stands at the moment, um, you know, he's probably looking at around about a five hundred five fifty a week return on it. Um, what a gem! And it's a dual lock block, or he can whack a granny flat on it as well. So uh, you know, this awesome. sounds like a great deal. They're there, and uh, and and it wasn't cheap. Like everyone else is saying to me, "Well, we'll sit back and wait till it's four twenty because the market will drop." And I said, "No, no, we're doing it now because yeah, what look, I what I on. believe, sorry, um, what I believe is the interest about the interest rates is that even though they're really attractive, they've talked about them going further and all the rest of it. They're giving money away at the moment. It's ridiculous. It is free money, basically." And uh, I think you've got to take advantage of it. Well, I could agree more. The, the amount of times I get people asking me like, oh, should I wait another couple of months just in case, just in case the <laughs> interest rates go down a little bit? And well, like, buy one then and buy one now. I'm like, well, what are you, like, are they not good enough? Like, is, yep. this, not, is this not good enough for you? Is, yeah. this, is that, is, is half a percent going to dictate your entire buying strategy? Because if so, I would question that maybe you need to have a more robust strategy. If that's the single thing that's going to make it, make it or break Absolutely. it down. I know people who are waiting for it to go negative before they buy and I'm like, okay, that's, that's <laughs> okay. interesting strategy. Yep. Now, you touched on it very briefly and um, I'm mindful of time. So I want to I tackle this and then I want to wind things up a little bit. Yeah, good. So... Land, land tax, stamp duty, all of this kind of stuff. There's talk at the moment of the government axing um, stamp duty in New South Wales. 
how do you think that that is going to affect property prices? But yeah, well, let's start there. How do you think that's going to affect property prices? What do you think is going to happen with that? Your viewers aren't probably going to like this, but I don't want it to happen. Um, and there's a reason I don't want it to happen because it's going to um, start a boom that's too quick. It's going to accelerate it so quickly that uh, that there'll be the other side comes too quick. I like it nice and steady. I like a market that that rises gently because it stays in for a long time. And if we've got a five to seven year rise, then that's just brilliant for us as investors or entrepreneurs. You know, um, if it happens quickly, it generally finishes quickly. And and so my theory is that I probably personally I don't want it to take place, even though I can see the short term gain from it. I'm looking longer term and thinking that'll have a more detrimental effect to the investors. But to, but to be perfectly honest, it will boom if they take it off and you'd be crazy not to get in straight away if that's the case. Yeah, interesting. Because there's an argument to say that, um, you know, some people might want to wait and not pay. Wait, wait again, wait and see. I like to call these people the fortune tellers. And there's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's a saying that I love that um, he who lives by the crystal ball is destined to eat ground glass. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of these fortune tellers out there at the moment. Oh, maybe, maybe in a month, in two months, I don't know, the market might crash and I don't know, the, the, the tax might be repealed or all these other things might happen, which I just think is absolutely hilarious. But um, because we don't know what's going to happen. So, yep. but I think... In my opinion on the whole uh, whole scenario is I don't think the government's prepared to give away money for free. No. And I agree with you that a sugar rush boom is nothing to be desired. You know, whenever you see these big, steep, like uh, artificial, artificially stimulated booms, like you see in mining yep. towns and stuff like that, it never ends yep. well. It ends it ends in tears. So I, I'm I'm with you. I want to see consistent, reliable. I, look, I, I want to be able to. Part of our strategy is that we are find the the best opportunities to get the steepest price growth over the shortest period of time. So we are looking for those gentrifying areas, those areas that are changing, the areas that are in transition from from low to mid to upper, or that have diversified their economy and good, got good stimulus. And we want to capture that rise because you do find that. But that has to be supported by a long-term view that those prices are going to be stable and not crash again on the back end, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I agree. But, but in, say, in saying yeah. that, though, if the if the investor and and this is what it showed me over 10, 20, 30 years, like it, people go in there and they buy a property, and if they're looking as a longer picture, which is how an investor should look, that's when you make the true money. It's not made in the first cycle; it's made in the second or the third. And you generally get to the second cycle and people are calling you lucky. The third one, they're calling you visionary or entrepreneurial. Um, and so what I'm, what I'm saying to people is this is only part of a strategy of a long picture. And if they're thinking longer term, they will, will make money. And, and I'm not a financial planner. I can't give advice about it. Noise, so I can only go off what I'm actually personally doing. But I can tell you when I bought you know, half a dozen properties at eighty or $90,000 and you know, they might be $500,000 now, um, that's not a bad strategy. I couldn't agree more. And it's a really funny thing that um, a lot of people get concerned about risk and they're yes. really worried about risk. Now, as a business owner and another business owner, the risk in business is tremendous. You know, 97% failure rate in business, you know. And so, but then even with stocks and shares, you know, there's that's investing in business. So you may invest in Tesla and then, you know, Elon Musk might send out a tweet like he did the other day and crash the prices, right? You got all these kind yeah. of areas. The funny thing about real estate is if you buy, you know, using solid fundamentals, there is a 100% success rate given time, given enough time. Now, don't get me wrong, if you bought somewhere way in the middle of nowhere with no solid fundamentals and the town dies and all of that kind of stuff, that's a different story. But if you follow, if you follow some basic principles around how to find a good area, there's a 100% success rate over time. I think yeah, true. A lot of people... Uh, get concerned of like, what if it goes down by 5% this year? And I'm like, yep. Like, I'll give you an adage of an old business coach and he was a really, really, like this guy, and I'd never take his his advice in dress clothing because he used to wear a rope around his belt. He was a, he was a mize. He didn't like spending money. Um, but he actually said, Darren, you buy, you never sell. And I said to him, listen, mate, then I would be in debt up to my eyeballs. And he said, 100 kilos of rocks and 100 kilos of feathers are exactly the same, just so you know. And he said, as long as you can service your debt or as long as you're positive geared or whatever the case may be, look into the future. And he said, what you see, and at that, that time, that was that was the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, he said, what you see as a million dollars worth of debt as being something that's scary will be $10 million in 30 years' time, will be $100 million in 60 years' time. 
And I can tell you right now, people will be saying that you're crazy, you didn't buy all you could. And if you, you talk to anyone that's older, that's, uh, that's lived the times, they go, gee, I should have bought that development or I should have bought that acreage or I should have bought that house or I should have kept that home. Um, I think it's one of those strategies where if you listen to the wisdom of some older people, they'll tell you that they have never thought they'd ever see the day where something would be worth 500000 And we're talking millions now. 100%. 100%. I've just been reading Richest Man in Babylon again. And, uh, great book. Great yeah, it's, book. Great, it's, great, it's a great book. It lends heavily into that. Uh, yeah. uh, having an action bias, you know, you, you encourage luck and opportunity to knock at your door when you have an action bias, basically. So Yeah, not fantastic. Nice, mate. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation. Actually, I'm really okay. glad. I'm, I, I've been. Uh, I, it's we've gone in a lot of really cool and fun and interesting and exciting directions. I've, I, it's been quite stimulating, and uh, and yeah, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you have too. So, what have you? Have you got any final advice to people who are um, thinking about buying at the moment? And also, how can people get in touch with you if they are thinking about buying in the Central Coast? Yeah, okay. No, no, look, I'm sure they can come through you. There's not a problem in the world. Uh, we'd be happy to work together. Um, look, uh, I think it probably falls back to something that I, I'd, I'd heard a long time ago, and that was that um, as a, a poor man thinks about their next alcoholic drink, you know, they're thinking in seconds. A rich man actually thinks, um, you know, and a billionaire thinks about their goals, you know, 36 times a day. Um, and I think the long thing is that you – that it's the action that I see that people take that makes a big, big difference. Plan a long way ahead. And if you think of something, take the action because the difference between, say, me and another person that does it, uh, that earns similar sort of money or whatever, is just that if I see an opportunity, I'll take it. And uh, most people don't. And so, um, look, my name's Darren Butcher. I'm from Wisebury Heritage Real Estate. You can contact me uh, either in, in our Gorican office, Charmhaven office. My mobile number is 0414 Facebook, me, Insta, any of those things, I'm happy to respond. Mate, you just gave out your phone number on a podcast which gets circulated pretty widely. Like, that's, that's, mate, that's ambitious. You could get all kinds of people ringing you. Crikey, crikey. I'm up all day and night, mate. They can call me anytime they like. Nice, nice. I like, I like that last little piece there. Plan with a, basically, plan with a long sword, fight with the short sword. So I like Thanks. that. Cool, yeah. mate. Well, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, I look forward to having another conversation with you again in the future. And, mate, take care and all the best. Yeah, thanks very much for your time too. Appreciate it heaps. Cheers, mate. Speak soon.